Well, that was funny, and the game of Operation is just a bunch of fun and games. But sometimes in real life, a trip to the doctor is not fun and games. Sometimes the cancer is real. Sometimes the infection is out of control. Sometimes the artery is blocked or the blood sugar is at dangerous levels. I had a time like this in my own life a few years back. I started having some pain in my abdomen and in my lower back that I knew just wasn't right. If you're anything like me, you hate going to the doctor, right? So I just waited a little while, I didn't do anything about it. But eventually the pain got so bad I couldn't ignore it anymore. So I went to the urgent care clinic down the, down the road from my house. And I get in there and they take one look at me and after about two minutes, they look at me and they say, hey buddy, you need to go to the emergency room and you need to go right now. Don't go home, don't stop anywhere, go straight to the emergency room. Starts to freak me out a little bit, you know, they were so alarmed by this. Uh, so I took their advice, I went straight to the emergency room and I get in there and they check me over a little bit and, and after a very short time, they decide they needed to order a CAT scan to see what was going on with me. Uh, and so I, you know, you sit there and you wait for the CAT scan results to come back. Uh, but the doctor comes in, I'll never forget the way he put it when he gave me the results. He looks at me and he says, Mr. Cahalan, you have an angry colon. <laughs> Not the kind of statement that's easy to forget. Uh, he then proceeds to tell me that I have a serious case of diverticulitis, which is an infection of the colon. And the way to treat this is they need to admit me into the hospital and possibly need to do surgery. Uh, he says they need to give some pretty intense rounds of antibiotics, but if the antibiotics don't work and I don't have surgery, it could perforate my colon. And if it perforates my colon, I become toxic and it's likely that I die. So he looks at me and he tells me this, hey, this is serious. We don't handle this right. It could kill you. Now, when you're 40 years old and you're otherwise a pretty healthy guy, that's not the kind of thing you expect to hear, right? So. I go through all this treatment. I'm in and out of the hospital over the next several months. Uh, and it became clear after a few months that the treatment just wasn't working. The antibiotics were not gonna be enough to handle this infection. So eventually they recommended that I have the surgery. And there I was faced with this decision, sort of a life and death kind of decision. Was I gonna be willing to, to, to allow someone to take a knife, cut me open, and remove one of my vital organs, <laughs> right? Uh, I mean, this was a pretty serious and big deal. And as you're trying to make this decision, it gets confusing because uh, if I don't have the surgery, it means I'm willing to just wait and see, right? I'm willing to wait to find out would some additional rounds of antibiotics be enough to take care of the infection before my, col my colon perforates? So, you know, it, it's a very complicated decision. If I have the surgery, it could kill me, right? Something could go wrong, and during surgery, I could die. But in my case, if I don't have the surgery, my colon could perforate, and I could die. <laughs> so how do you make a decision like that? Well, it really comes down to something very simple, and for me and my family, it really did come down to something as simple as this. Did we trust this surgeon to cut me open, to take a knife, cut me open, and remove what needed to be removed. Did we trust this guy with my life and with the future of our family? You know, as I looked around at my wife and my four kids and we tried to make this decision, that's really what it came down to for us, right? It was life or death because listen, this was no game of operation. A mistake 
doesn't cause some buzzer to go off and generate a few laughs. A mistake ends my life. And so in moments like this, when you're faced with a decision, are you willing to subject yourself to the surgeon's knife? It's one of those times in life where you just can't afford to be wrong. It's true, isn't it? <laughs> uh, when you're making a decision like that, are you going to subject yourself to the surgeon's knife? In, in the world of physical medicine, you just simply can't afford to be wrong. But there's another surgeon that you can't afford to be wrong about, and I want to introduce you to him. Uh, the description of him and his knife and his blade is found in chapter 4 of the Bible book of Hebrews. If you have a Bible, turn over there, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. We're going to camp out in, in Hebrews 3 and 4 a little bit today. But here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 4. It says, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So each and every one of us is faced with a decision. Are we going to subject ourselves to the care of God, the great physician, as he wields the double-edged blade of his word, right? Just as I needed to decide whether I was going to trust my surgeon to cut me open and remove what needed to be removed, each and every one of us has to decide, are we going to trust God to cut us open with his word, remove what needs to be removed, add what needs to be added, replace what needs to be replaced, repair what is bro broken, heal what is sick, and bring to life what is dead. Amen. Right? And we need to decide, are we going to trust him to care for us in this way? Well, we're in the middle of a series that we're calling Habits, and so we're going to introduce ourselves to a, a habit today that I think God wants us to add to our lives. Uh, last week, Pastor Jeremy, you know, introduced this whole topic to us, and he, he introduced to a, a couple of principles, right, last week. He said this, he said, the way to deal with anything you want to change in your life, so you think about that for a minute, is there anything that you want to change in your life? Something you'd like to do differently, think about differently, just something you'd like to change. If you're human, probably the answer is yes. And Pastor Jeremy told us last week, he says, the way to, to, to deal with anything you want to change in your life is to get more of God into you. That's what he said. You remember that if you were here last week? Then he introduced us to this little formula, which I love. It's, one of, it's a Pastor Jeremy original. It's one of my favorite thoughts of his. It stuck with me over the years. He's taught it to us before. But he says this. He says, success in any area of life. So you think about what we're talking about here is there's something in your life you want to change. Success in any area of life is doing right things over long periods of time despite how you feel. It's a great little formula, isn't it? You try that, you'll probably be a whole lot better off. <laughs> Success, doing right things over long periods of time despite how you feel. And then last week we ended with all of us just sitting here with God and trying to identify something in our life we wanted to change. So if you weren't here last week, you missed out on that, but I just encourage you to do it right now. Just think about something in your life that you would like to change. You're entering into a new year, it's 2017, people think about this sort of thing when you enter into a new year. I don't know what it is about a new year that makes us think about the things in our life we'd like to improve or change, but just think about something right now. If you were here last week, remember you wrote it down even, and you wrote this little formula next to it. 
And we lifted it to God in prayer and we asked God to help us change. We asked him to help us make 2017 a great year. A life where we can change the things that we want to change. And we asked him to help us figure out what the right things are that we need to do over and over again over long periods of time despite how we feel. And so today and for the next couple of weeks what we're going to do is we're going to get very practical. We're going to talk about what those right things are that we need to do over and over again, over long periods of time, despite how we feel. What are the right things that we need to do to get more of God into our lives? I imagine if you're in church, that sounds like something that you'd like to do. If you, you wouldn't be in church, probably, if you didn't want at least just a little bit more of God into your life. And I realize there are some people that don't want too much of God. <laughs> you probably met some people like that, and maybe there are some people in the room like that. You just want a little bit more. Well... I'm going to try to convince you today that that's not such a good idea. What you really need is all of you and all of God into you, more and more of him, all that he has to offer at least, as much of him as you can handle is what we really do need. And so we're going to get very practical, and I don't know of any place better to start with this than the book of Hebrews. Uh, If you're not familiar with the book of Hebrews, that's a shame. Uh, It's a bummer for you because the book of Hebrews is an amazing book. Now, it's not easy. It's a difficult little book, and you've got to have a little bit of understanding of the Old Testament to really understand some of the imagery in the book of Hebrews. But when you really start to grasp some of the symbolism and images that this book uses to describe God and our relationship with him, it's powerful. And so you come to this. This book was originally written, the book of Hebrews was written in the first century to a group of Jewish Christians who were being severely persecuted and mistreated for their faith. And so just understand the audience of this book when it was originally given is these people that were suffering for their faith. And the author's goal was to convince them of the superior greatness of Jesus over all other things. The greatness of Jesus. Jesus is greater than anyone or anything and the life that he offers you is better than any other possible life. That's the point of this book. And so as you sit here today, I'm hopeful this book will convince you that Jesus is greater than anyone or anything. And the life that he offers you is better than any other possible alternative. If you believe that, it's likely to change the way you live. (laughs) Right? And so we're going to talk about this. But this is the message of the book of Hebrews. And in chapters 1 through 4, the writer unpacks this. And so if you just were to walk through this book, and we're not going to do this all today, but just want to introduce you to a little bit of the flavor of it as it it unpacks the first few chapters of the book. The, The writer says Jesus is greater than all the other prophets. He's greater than all the other priests. He's even greater than the angels. And then he says that Jesus is the Son of God. The radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his nature. He goes on to say that Jesus is the maker of the universe and the heir of everything and sustains all things by his powerful word. He unpacks this picture of Jesus and who he is. And then he says this incredible thing that this, this, this God, this, this one who is the radiance of God's glory, the very son of God became a human like one of us. And his point in doing this, in becoming a human, Jesus came into the world to break the power of the devil, defeat death, and free us from fear. Anybody in the room think that sounds like good news? (laughs) Jesus came into the world. He became one of us. He defeated the devil. He defeated death. He broke his power. Jesus came into the world. He took our place. He died on a cross. He rose from the dead. And because of him, we are offered forgiveness of sins, And we are invited into the very presence of God. 
where, we, where we're promised that if we, through Jesus and what he's done for us, if we draw near to God through him, what you will find when you get there is mercy and grace. Mercy means you don't get what you deserve. Grace means you get a whole lot of things you don't deserve. This is what Jesus came to do for us. And the whole rest of the book of Hebrews is spent telling these first century Christians that, they, that, that no matter what they face, no matter how they're persecuted, no matter how they're mistreated, that, that what you should do with your life is fix your eyes on Jesus and follow him no matter what. Because Jesus is greater than anyone or anything. And the life that he offers you is better than any other possible alternative. And so with that as the backdrop, we move our way into the late portion of Hebrews chapter three and into chapter four. I want us to take a close look at this. And what I want us to do is identify today what I believe is the single greatest habit that any human being could ever develop. Does that sound overstated? <laughs> I believe this is true. The single greatest habit that any human being could ever develop is this. Here's the way I'm gonna put it today. Get under the knife to change your life. Get under the knife to change your life. Now, I know that sounds a little bit violent, but remember the image that we're, we're moving into here where the scripture is talked about as this living and active word, sharper than any two-edged sword. And the image here is a surgical Im image, and surgery is a good thing. Trust me, I know a thing or two about that. And probably some of you do as well. So to fully understand what, what we're getting at here, as you, as you move into the late portion of chapter three of Hebrews, uh, he's in the middle of his argument of how great Jesus is and how he's greater than anyone or anything. And in, in particular, he's talking about how Jesus is greater than Moses. Now we all know who Moses is, don't we? And I, I realize nowadays, whenever you talk about the Bible, chances are there are people in the room who have no idea who Moses is, right? We live in a world today where people just don't know a lot of the background and history of the Bible, but... Uh, Moses is one I think most of us know because he's on TV, right? The Ten Commandments or maybe the movie Prince of Egypt or something. You probably have some familiarity with Moses, right? He's the one that delivered the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. He led them uh, you know, through the Red Sea into the, into the, the desert and, and eventually the hope was to lead them into the promised land. And so as we get to the late portion of chapter three, the writer's in the middle of his argument that Jesus is greater than Moses uh, but what we find is that, that Moses is really, really, really great, okay? But even though Moses was so great, you know how Moses' story ended. The people rejected him and his message. Moses himself never even got to see the promised land. Isn't that one of the saddest stories in the whole Bible? Moses never even got to see the promised land, and, and the people's rejection of Moses and his message meant none of the people, virtually none, just with a couple of small little exceptions, virtually none of them, got to enter into the promised land. In chapter three, he ends with these words. It says, to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of what? <clears throat> because of their what? Their unbelief. So here was this whole generation of people who were offered this invitation. God said, come, enjoy my rest. Enter into the promised land. I want to lead you there. But because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter. 
Now the point of chapter three, of course, is somebody greater than Moses has come. And his name is Jesus, and the promise of entering God's rest still stands. And a life greater than the promised land is now available. Jesus is greater. Greater than anyone or anything. Greater than Moses. And the life he offers is better than any other life. Better than the promised land. And Jesus comes, and so to start chapter four, he transitions now, and he talks right to you and me, specifically talking to the people he's writing this book to, and and nowadays from God to us, says this, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them. I pray today that that isn't said of anyone in this room tonight. That the message that you hear is of no value to you. Because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed do what? Enter that rest. According to the book of Hebrews, entering into God's rest is the greatest thing anyone could experience. This is the life that Jesus came to offer us. When I say the life that Jesus invites you into is greater than any other possible life, the way that the writer that Hebrews calls it is entering into God's rest. Now what does this mean? Well, it basically means entering into a relationship with God where he cares for you and meets your needs. He becomes your father, you become his son and his daughter. It's a relationship with God, entered by faith, where you trust him to care for you and meet your needs. You enter into God's rest when you believe in him, you trust in him, and you depend on him to care for you and meet your needs. And the reason the people of Israel couldn't enter into his rest, because they didn't trust him is because of unbelief. They did not trust God to care for them and meet their needs. God would tell them something to do and they wouldn't trust him. And they would do it their own way instead. Anybody ever do that? God says to do something. He's trying to care for you and meet your needs. It's why he ever tells you to do something. He doesn't tell you to do something because he wants you to work for him. He doesn't want you to do something for him because he's a lender that expects you to pay him back. God tells you to do something because he's a physician who wants you to be well. He's a father who wants you to be cared for. They didn't trust him. Scripture says they hardened their hearts against him. And as a result, they died in the wilderness without ever entering the promised land. And the writer of Hebrews in verse 11 then pleads with us. And hear this as the voice of God pleading with you today and with me. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. And so here's the decision we're faced with. Will we trust God to care for us and meet our needs Or will we harden our hearts against him in unbelief? Will we refuse to trust him and as a result die in the wilderness of this world without ever entering his rest?
basically, we're faced with the same decision I was faced with when I had diverticulitis. When the doctor told me I had diverticulitis, I had to decide, was I going to trust that doctor to care for me and meet my needs? If I would let him care for me, I would live. If not, I would die. And this is basically what God is saying to you and me today. He says, you need to let me care for you. God himself is inviting you into a relationship with him, and he says to you today, you need to let me care for you. If you let me care for you, you will live. If you won't, you will die. And so what will you do? God is saying to you and me, he says, you need spiritual surgery in order to live. Let me operate. He says to you and me basically this, get under the knife to change your life. And here's the way it puts it in Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The image here is a clear one. God is a spiritual surgeon and his knife, which we call the Bible, is his, surge, is his scalpel. And he's calling us to trust him to cut us open with his word. To remove what needs to be removed. To add what needs to be added. To replace what needs to be replaced. To repair what is broken. To heal what is sick. And to bring to life what is dead. He says the word of God is alive and active. That means when you come to the scripture, you don't come to some lifeless thing. This, this Bible that we call the word of God, it's living, it's active. And the reason it's living and active is because it's in the hand of the surgeon. It's his instrument. The Bible is no ordinary book, no ordinary thing. It is the knife of God, the great physician, who wants to perform surgery on your heart. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. Now, this is very interesting, as I was kind of studying for this. I, I found some of this fascinating. When you look at the Greek word that's translated sword in this passage, it's the word that's most often used for a surgical knife. You go back and you study the first century, uh, in fact, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, this very same word that's translated here as sword is the word used in the Greek version of the Old Testament for, for the surgical instrument that was used to perform the delicate operation of circumcision. It's just a flint knife, a very sharp sort of a flint knife. Surgical knives in the first century were around seven inches long. So think of about a seven inch long knife. Uh, that had two cutting edges, one at each end of the instrument. Surgeon held the knife in the middle using either end of the knife according to what was needed. And, and the scripture says that this is the way God uses his word, as an instrument to perform surgery on our hearts. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, which means the word of God is going to pierce through all of your protective layers if you let it. When, when you come before God and you subject yourself to his word, to his knife, it cuts through all of the outer layers of protection that you try to build around your life and yourself. It dissects you, is one way you might put it. 
It exposes and radically strips your heart of all of its hardened shell and lays it bare before God. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, which means it, it, it penetrates deep into the inner recesses of your being and re- reveals what is really there. There are some things buried deep down inside of some of us that nobody on the outside can see. You know they're there. God knows they're there. You try to forget them, but God's going to use his knife to dig these things out, going right to the root of everything, discerning even the subtle distinctions between your motivations and your thoughts and your feelings and your intentions. Everything is uncovered and laid bare, it says. Like a patient on an operating table, you are stretched out and utterly naked before God. And the penetrating power of his word. He makes known what is hidden. There's nothing so deep that can't be drawn into the light as he searches your heart and examines you by his word. When you come to the Bible, you don't read it. It reads you. Ever been sitting in church hearing God's word taught and proclaimed and you, you, you realized that you weren't reading it, it was reading you? It's a, it's a diagnostic, almost like an x-ray. The surgeon, surgeon's goal is to expose what is unhealthy and to cure it, doing whatever is necessary to make you whole and well. Now, don't make any mistake about it, surgery is painful, right? But it's worth it. It's the only way to remove what needs to be removed. There are some things in your life that need to be removed. God wants to take his surgical knife and remove what needs to be removed. He wants to add what needs to be added. Some things you just need to transplant. He wants to repair what's broken. There are some things in your life that are broken. He wants to heal what's sick. He wants to bring to life some things that have died. He's going to do it by his word. It says that we are before the eyes of him. So this surgeon, imagine yourself on an operating table, stretched out, laid bare. The surgeon is over you with his knife. He has cut you open and everything is revealed before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Nothing is hidden. And he's bearing it out, revealing it to you. There's an interesting word play here that I thought was pretty fascinating. It's not easy to see in English, but the Greek word for account, where it says we have to give an account, is the exact same word. It's the Greek word logos, exact same word that's used for word. That that word is usually translated word. It's the exact same word that's used for word of God in verse 12. So in verse 12, it says the word of God, the logos of God, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates, it divides, right? Then in verse 13, he says, and we must now render a logos to God. God's logos to you demands a logos from you. When God's word comes, you must respond. Will you trust him or will you reject him? But a response is needed. He's calling you today. (laughs) He says, come to me. Let me care for you. Let me meet your needs. 
Lay yourself bare before my knife. Let me cut, let me shape, let me improve, let me repair, let me heal, let me fix. Will you trust me? The choice is ours, and it's the choice between life and death. And so what will the choice be? What will our response be? Will you, will I, put my life into God's hands? Will I trust him? Will I subject myself to his care and obey him like a good patient? When he tells me what to do, will I receive it as a prescription for joy and peace and love and happiness in my life? Do I want to grow? If you want to grow instead of die in any area of your life, this is the single most, habit you, most important habit you could develop. If you want to grow, get under the knife to change your life. If you want to grow in your relationships, then bring your relationships under the knife of God's word. If you want to grow in your finances, then bring your finances under the knife of God's word. If you want to overcome your addictions, then bring your addictions under the knife of God's word. If you want to find your calling and purpose in life, then bring your hopes and your fears and your dreams under the knife of God's word. If you want to lose weight and get healthy, then bring your eating habits and your lifestyle under the knife of God's word. If you want more love and more joy and more peace in your life, then bring your life under the knife of God's word. Trust God and obey him. Everything that you are looking for, everything that I am looking for is found under the delicate and precise and loving surgical knife of God's word. If you want to get more of God into you, if you want to do the right things over and over again over long periods of time despite how you feel, then you need to develop the habit of getting under the knife of God's word and there's not a single part of your life that won't be better off for it. I've experienced this, I can't even tell you how many times in my life or something was broken in my own life. Something wasn't right, something needed to be fixed, something was dying. I can go back even just a year ago and remember very vividly a moment where I was sitting, I, I usually sit right there, my wife Tara and I, third or fourth row right here is where we usually sit as Pastor Jeremy stands up here and cries and snot everywhere and you know how he is, spits on the people in the front row. And I sit right back there because I don't want to be in line of that, you know, so I, but, but I'll never forget sitting here, there's so many weeks it happens. This particular time, this is about a year, a little bit over a year ago, uh, Tara and I, my wife Tara and I, we were struggling a bit in our marriage. Um, felt a little bit disconnected, we'd had some arguments and just, it wasn't feeling right, you know, it just felt a little bit, a little bit of distance. You know what I'm talking about if you're married. You go through seasons like this. So we were in one of those seasons where it just didn't feel right and neither of us liked it, you know. It was driving me crazy, it was driving her crazy and we just didn't know, it just wasn't the way it should be. And I was sitting right here and Pastor Jeremy preached a message. Uh, it was called, You Gotta Want It was the name of the message. I don't know if anybody remembers that but it basically had to do with this idea that in any area of your life you gotta stop being passive. You gotta want it. And he, he used the story of Peter where Peter wanted more of Jesus in his life, but Peter was in a boat and Jesus was out on the water. And Peter wanted to be with Jesus. And, and Jesus calls Peter, he says, come out, walk to me on the water. And so Peter's like, uh, what? Sometimes you just gotta get out of the boat. That's 
That's what Pastor Jeremy said. Sometimes you just gotta get out of the boat. You need to trust God to care for you and lead you, and if he says come, you come. If he says get out of the boat, get out of the boat. Now you think you might sink if you got out of the boat, and that's okay. If you sink, he catches you. It's no big deal. And that's exactly what happened to Peter, right? He got out of the boat and he sank and Jesus caught him and everything was fine and he was close to Jesus. There he was. He got what he wanted, even though he sank. But I'll never forget it. I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about this in my own life. I'm thinking about my marriage and how we're struggling. And it dawned on me, I needed to do something. I needed to stop being so passive. And so I went home that night and I got with Tara and I said, you know what? We need to get back into the habit of spending time together every night reading God's word and praying together. And we started a habit back up. We'd done it before. We'd gotten out of the habit. That night, we started this habit back up. We used a little daily devotional called Devotions for a Sacred Marriage, it was called. And we started doing this together every night. And I'm telling you, the conversations that that sparked and generated and the healing that it brought into our marriage. I I stand before you today. (laughs) I'll stand, if Tara was here, she's not here at the moment, but if she was, she would tell you, We are closer together right now than we've ever been and more deeply in love than we've ever been. And it started because we sat under the surgical knife. We brought our marriage under the knife of God's word. We allowed him to cut us and shape us and add some things and subtract some things. And this is how it works. And it could be, it's true in every single area of life. Getting under the knife means finding as many ways as you possibly can to get more of God's word into your life. Any possible way you can find to get more of God's word into your life is what it means to get under the knife. And one of the best and most important ways to do this is to do what Tara and I did and sit in one of these chairs right here every week. You want to get under the knife of God's word, just come to church. Somebody's going to stand up here every week and they're going to put themselves in God's hand. This is what I try to do when I stand up here. And I know Jeremy does and Chris and Jack and whoever stands on this stage, I'm telling you, we are dependent on God. We realize we're just instruments in his hand. We can't do anything on our own. But we, we stand before you and we unpack this word. We become an instrument in the hand of God where he shapes and cuts and adds and subtracts and does things and changes things. We need to get under the knife by coming to church. That's one of the greatest things that you could do. Anybody in the room ever had your life changed <laughs> by coming to church? Just sitting under the teaching of God's word? Dozens of us could share stories just like the one I just shared. When the word of God is opened as we gather together, direction is received, hope is renewed, conviction is felt, repentance is whispered, forgiveness is found, and things just change. And you become more of who you were intended to be and who you were created to be. Get the habit of getting under the knife of God's word together. Another way we do this at Metro is through our next step sessions. Next step sessions are these things that we offer that are very targeted. You know, any surgeon worth his salt doesn't hand out his medicine indiscriminately. Sometimes it's targeted right at the need of the patient. And so we offer these things called next step sessions, which are targeted right from God. They're prescriptions from him, surgical procedures from him, targeted at a very specific area of your life. Whether it be your marriage, your parenting, boundaries in your relationships. Maybe you need to learn how to study the Bible learn better how to pray, learn how to hear the voice of God, how to overcome sexual addiction in your life. We have all kinds of different sessions that we offer during these next steps. 
They're coming up again. The next round of these is starting in March. Some of you need to get under the knife and sign up for one of these. Let God change you. Let him, let him improve. Let him make a difference in your life. And get under the knife of God's word together. Sign up for one of these. They're, they're in March. Registration will start the first week in February. Next step sessions. But getting under the knife doesn't only happen at church, right? We need to get under the knife alone by reading and responding. Probably the single greatest thing you can do to get under the knife is just read the Bible at home every day and respond to what you read. Read and respond. I do this. I get on a daily Bible reading plan. It's one of the greatest things that you could do. Uh, There's this app out there, which is incredible. If you don't have it, you should get it. It's called the Bible app. It's produced by life.church. You can go to your smartphone, get on this thing. Get on your Bible app. It has dozens of reading plans, dozens of devotional type things to get you into the habit of just getting under the knife every day at home. My favorite reading plan is the Discipleship Journal reading plan, and it's the five by five by five one. The, The thing I love about it is you read through the entire New Testament in a year, five minutes a day, five days a week. That's doable. I like that it's five days a week because it's for people like me that sometimes skip a day and you don't fall behind. <laughs> but listen, it, get the word of God into your life. Get under the knife of his word. But the most important thing about just this time of reading alone with God where you're, you're getting into his word and under his knife is it's supposed to be a conversation with him. You sit with your doctor. He doesn't do all the talking, Right? When God speaks, when you read his word, respond to what you read in prayer. It's one of those habits that will change everything about it for you. Read his word and then respond to what you just read. Talk to him about it. Read and respond. Thirdly, we need to get under the knife through books and podcasts, okay? There's all kinds, it's amazing what's out there and available to us. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you, you can access and have available to you some of the, the best teaching from God's word, from the best Bible teachers in the world, the best Bible teachers, some of them who've ever lived, available to you at the click of a button. Books that they've written. My favorite's a guy named John Piper. I'm a little biased. He has this website called Desiring God is the name of his website. He has 30 years worth of his sermons available to read or listen to for free on his website. It's amazing. I've read almost everything he's ever written. I've listened to literally hundreds of his sermons. I can't tell you how many times he has been the instrument of God cutting and changing me. Something I've read, something I've listened to, driving along in my car, right? And God uses this man to change my life. So here's my recommendation. You just find someone. Find some Bible teacher that you really connect with and get under the knife with them as often as you possibly can. Just build this habit into your life. Each and every one of us has to make a decision today whether or not to subject ourselves to the care of God, the great physician. Do you trust God enough to cut you open? Do you trust God to care for you and meet your needs? Do you trust God to remove what needs to be removed? What is it in your life that needs to be removed? Maybe you don't even know. I guarantee you, God knows. Do you trust him? Will you subject himself? Will you trust his word? Do you trust him to add what needs to be added to your life? 
to repair what is broken in your life, to heal what is sick, to bring to life what is dead. Go back to that one thing that you thought about that you want to change in your life. What is it? What would you like to be different? Is it a relationship? Is it your finances? Is it your health? Is it your body? Whatever. What is it for you? I guarantee you that there is something in God's word that has to do with what you want to change. Find out what it is. Come to God's word. Take this area of your life that you want to change. Bring it under the knife of God's word and submit to it. Subject yourself to the surgeon's knife. Get under the knife to change your life. If you don't know what it is, if you're thinking to yourself, I know what I want to change, but I don't know what the Bible says about that. Come and ask us. I guarantee you there's something in it for you that God wants to use to care for you and meet your needs and change you in 2017. Come and ask us if you don't know. Send an email to the church office. We love that. I can tell you one of my favorite things is when people send emails to the church office and say, can you help me with something from the Bible about this? Send, I hope I get 100 emails of people just asking questions. I love those conversation. Jeremy loves it. All of our pastors do. There's so many of you that can be of help to one another as we try to help each other get under the knife of God's word and change. Will you do this in 2017? Will you get under the knife to change your life? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, um, great physician of our soul, (laughs) we come before you right now at least dozens of us do in this moment. And we lay ourselves bare before you and we say, search us, oh God. See if there's anything in us that needs to change. We put ourselves in your hands, God. We trust you to care for us. We trust you to meet our needs. Cut us, change us. Add and subtract and heal and fix and repair and bring to life whatever you want. We subject ourselves to you and your care. We get under the knife to change our life. But God, I know there are some in this room that aren't ready for that yet. They're listening. They're interested. Their their curiosity is piqued. Is it really true that Jesus is greater than anyone or anything? Is it really true that the life Jesus offers is better than any other possible life? Is it really true that all the love and the joy and the peace that they search for is found in you under your care? God, would you answer their questions? Would you lead them to you? Would you bring someone or something into their life that will help them on the journey to take that next step toward you? And God, I pray for them even right here in this moment that they would just take a step today and come and talk to someone. Lord, my friends that are gonna be right here to my left, to their right, that the reason they're there is just to pray for people, Lord. I pray that, that dozens of people will come forward today for prayer and that dozens of people will ask their questions. And that all of us in this room here today will leave here closer to you than we came. Let 2017 be a great year. Because it's a year when we trust you, our great physician, to care for us and meet our needs. Help us to trust and obey. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.